Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're all feeling good. Feels like a nice fall day, my favorite season. We're going to do a little Bible study today on the servant of the Lord. In Romans 1.1, we read, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, set apart for the gospel of God. That Greek word for servant here, as we studied quite deeply during Bible class, is the Greek word doulos, which means a slave or bond servant. A word that still evokes many negative connotations. In the first century, it wasn't popular either. <laughs> uh, Paul, however, understood his role as a disciple of Christ, and he gloried in this title of being a bond servant. That's the lowest of the low. He knew he belonged to Christ, and just as Roman slaves had no rights, Paul saw himself as a man without rights in the world, a man completely under the subjection of the Lord, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul saw himself as becoming like his Lord, like his teacher, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself took that title. He took on that role of servant, of slave, of doulos, which is even below a slave. The Jews in his day, they were looking for a tough, warrior-like Messiah. That's what they were expecting. And they never would have guessed in a million years that God's servant would come in an image they would all repudiate. Isaiah 52, 13 shows Christ as a suffering servant. That's how he's described. And we read in the New Testament, Jesus fulfilling his role as God's servant. He loved at all times, as Mike was sharing with us. He walked in wisdom. I mean, the example that he gave was worthy of inspiration for many people from Gandhi to many others. He lived a life to please his father. He wasn't there to please mankind. He sought every opportunity to do good, was obedient even to the point of death, thus fulfilling his father's mission of redemption. And he left us an example of service to follow, as he did when he washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13, that we too may live a life of serving others, as tough as it may be. There may be a few things that can get in the way, though, of you wanting to become a servant of that caliber or an ambassador, as we were talking about last week. Same way, if you want to be an ambassador, that means we're trying to be servants of God. Borrowing from Jesus' parable of the sower, we read here, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word 
at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And the seed falling on the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. So these are thorns and rocks in our life that we need to identify that can get in the way of us being those ambassadors, those servants that God is calling us to be. As a young person, you know, when you're young, you know, you, you look at the world in a different way. I thought I had a great stake in this physical life. I'm not talking about the kind of stake that you eat and you know, barbecue, okay? I'm talking about, I had a lot of hope in this life. You know, I was young and I was thinking about what I was gonna do and what I was gonna study, how I was gonna live. And sometimes that vested interest, like the seed that fell on the thorny ground, the deceitfulness of those things, can cause us to lose sight of the kind of work God wants us to do. We have trouble understanding our real identity God is calling us to be. We get it confused with the identity we want to project in the world. And that's not gonna help us become servants of God or effective ambassadors. It's something that we need to be aware of so that we can learn how to fight it. We need to find a firm footing. We need to find firm ground in God's word. And this begins in the home. What are we doing in our homes? In our homes, we learn to serve one another. And there comes a time when that can become a challenge. Learning how to serve at home, how to be aware of how we can help those that we share our home with. Help your father, help your mother, help all of us to serve and develop that attitude. Servant will make you more successful when you leave the home, uh, conforming to God's work once you go out there and start forging your own life. Remember, Jesus came to serve, and the first people that he served was his people. And we ought to serve one another rather than looking to be served ourselves seeking to please God in every matter, seeking every opportunity to serve. These are the kinds of people that Jesus died for. In Titus 2.14, God sent his son to die for people eager to do what is good, eager to serve. Paul will say here, you, my brothers, were called to be free. There's only really one kind of free people here on the earth. Most Americans think that the Bible might be talking about them at this point. But the fact is that if you are sowing the seed on thorny ground or rocky ground, you might not really be experiencing the kind of freedom God is talking about. Because only in Christ can we be free. He says you don't use your freedom though to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, we wanna use our freedom to serve and love. That's why we've been given this freedom. When Jesus came to earth, remember, he didn't come as that warrior-like Messiah to pound on the Romans and set us supposedly politically free or free of slavery. No. He came to give us a freedom that's way beyond that. 
The kind of freedom that starts in here. The kind of freedom that gives us peace and that helps us realize we've been set free to serve in love. And that's the example we have. The legacy of Jesus Christ, as clearly predicted in Isaiah chapter 52, even after his resurrection and his ascension from heaven, Jesus, at this point, still serves those who are his. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus lives to intercede for us. So even in heaven, he's doing these things for us, watching out for us. And we want to follow our master's example, no matter how much lacking and glamour it may seem to our fleshly life. Jesus has taught us that the road to greatness is the road to servitude. There is power in a towel. In the first century, the foot washing was seen as the lowliest position, usually delegated to slaves. And though that word continues to have that negative connotation with us in the 21st century, it's precisely the word we need to think of and kind of take it as our own personal role as Paul did. He saw himself as a slave of Christ. And remember, back in the first century, the connotation was not any better. And yet Paul used that word to describe himself. And we need to think of that in terms of service to Christ, service for Christ. And that's because we're either a slave of the world or a slave to Christ. There's no other way. And the only free way is being a slave to Christ. You think you're free, but without Christ, you're a slave and the world and the slave to your passions. And Jesus said here, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. See, we can't really serve one another unless we think of ourselves low as slaves of Christ. I have set you an example, Jesus says here, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what is he talking about? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the power of a towel. Well, whoever wants to become great, who doesn't want to become great? I mean, I went to college because I thought I was going to become a great teacher you go to college, you do your job, you know, you want to become somebody great. Who starts out life wanting to become nothing? <laughs> but Jesus says here, if you really want to be great, you must be a servant. You must be a slave. <laughs> Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Well, what a topsy-turvy philosophy. But it's one that really tests our heart, tests our faith. Are we really serious? This is a test. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Basil of Caesarea lived in Cappadocia in the fourth century AD. He was born into a wealthy family, and he could have gone the way of the rest of the world uh, and the values of his time, but instead, he gave away what, we, what he had 
and dedicated himself to the work of ambassadorship of Christ in that century. When a severe famine hit the area in 369 AD, his friend Gregory, which is how we know of Basil's work, through a lot of letters that Gregory wrote that we can still read to this day, he described how Basil gathered together all the poor to feed them. He fed them basins of soup and meat. And so the first soup kitchen recorded in the history books came to be. But this was only the beginning for Basil. That was only the first of the works God was going to do through this servant. Basil expanded his charitable work by teaching and preaching about the need for social reform in an era where none existed. Everyone was looking out for number one. But Basil was reminding them of who the real number one is and that there is power in a tower. Basil encouraged the wealthy to support social projects for the poor. For this, he says, is what Jesus Christ called us to be. So his work, reading it now many centuries later, is called a major social revolution that completely transformed the landscape of the time. And most of those works still have reverberation even to the 21st century, as you will soon see. This directly challenged the hypocrisy, the corruption, the self-interest that was so rampant in fourth century Caesarea. The revolution included the world's first hospital. Now, don't get me wrong. There were other places where the sick went to try and get treated in the fourth century, but they were not hospitals. The Romans had institutions that cared for soldiers and slaves, as well as temples of gods where people went to pray for miraculous healing. But these were not hospitals, though. You see, a true hospital, in today's definition, must have three components. It must have inpatient facilities. It must, it must have professional medical caregivers. And it also must have care given for free. So there was born the Basiliad, properly named after Basil of Caesarea, the world's first hospital. That was the first care center in the world in recorded history that had all these three components. By 372 AD, it had a special wing for lepers, was staffed by professional medical personnel, it included a soup kitchen of sorts, because Basil never forgot his first soup kitchen. And it had beds, beds where the sick or travelers or strangers or people who were displaced could stand. There was also a wing that housed orphaned children. And guess what? In that orphanage, they received training for trade school for free so that they could become productive members of society. So in a world where many thought and held on to that old view of power, who thought power was found in worldly knowledge or money, Basil was teaching something else, using the words and the example of Jesus. Basil knew that real power 
was in a tower in following the footsteps of Jesus. After all, didn't we just read his words that said, you will be blessed if you do them, if you do these things? John 13, verse 7. See, each small step that you take can lead to sweeping changes, first within yourself, within your family, within the church, and so on and so forth. It grows. The influence can grow as Basil transformed a social landscape in his day. He started a new trend. <laughs> Soon after his death, many other Christian hospitals started to sprout all over the Roman Empire, and they had become commonplace within the first, within a century, actually, within a hundred years, it became commonplace. Right now, we don't really question the fact that we have hospitals do. Matter of fact, we're blessed. We see them all over the place. But guess what? The hospital had its origin and conception within a Christian within a servant of God, within someone who saw himself as a slave and followed the footsteps of Jesus Christ. See, this power of the towel is one of the greatest secrets in God's kingdom. Jesus gave power to the powerless by teaching them to serve in heart and in mind as his slaves. In Isaiah, we find what the attributes of a servant are. Isaiah describes the servant of God, whom we know is Jesus Christ. And we see what those attributes of being a servant of God are in this passage. We read here, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. This is the Lord saying these things. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. He is God's servant. Let's look at these attributes. He is God's servant. It says here, here is my servant, God says. Isaiah 42, 1. In Isaiah 61, 1, we see this is actually what Jesus quoted when he made his first public reading in a Jewish synagogue. He identified with this picture of God's servant by saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Just like Isaiah says, right? I will put my spirit on him, says God. So Jesus acknowledges that by saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners. What a beautiful goal. What a beautiful vision. Jesus started out to have, but he could not have had it unless he thought himself as God's servant, God's slave. What is his goal? 
Well, his goal, as we see here in Isaiah, is to bring justice, to bring real justice to the nations. And he was going to accomplish this work faithfully, it says here, and without faltering, because he's the only one that can really bring true justice. He's the only one that can justify us, <laughs> that can make us be right before God, because the only other choice was us to perish because we didn't qualify. We came up short on, it. on judgment day, we would come up short. But he came to bring us true justice, one that we did not deserve, actually. Liberty, he came to bring. A justice truly tempered with mercy. Proven as his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. That's the true justice, the servant of God. And what about his manner? Well, it says here that he would not need to shout or cry out. He wasn't going to be like, ah, you know, wagging his finger at you, <laughs> calling you unworthy, unqualified. That was not his manner at all. Matter of fact, it said here that a bruised reed he would not break. A smoldering wick he would not snuff out. That's talk, talking about how mild, how kind, how compassionate is the manner of the servant of God. Here in Isaiah 61.2, we repeat to proclaim. See, instead of coming to condemn, he said he's coming to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How much favor has God has for us? The day of vengeance to comfort all who mourn. He came as a servant to bring comfort to those of us who are broken reeds and smoldering wicks. Very gentle, mending our broken lives, as it says in Isaiah 61, 3, to provide for those who grieve inside to bestow on them a crown of beauty. Look, God came to us, even though we didn't deserve it, bringing gifts, bringing good news. That's the manner of the servant of God, one who's looking out for others. He says, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. See, if we are gonna compare that to what Satan brings to us, that's what he's contrasting with Satan brings. Satan tries to sell you stuff that ends up being a crown of ashes, <laughs> that ends up being mourning, and that ends up being despair. Whereas God changes all of that. He says here, they will be called oaks of righteousness. There's an oak, it's a mighty tree. A planting of the Lord is a display of his Splendor, not mine, but his. So yes, Jesus came exposing sin, absolutely, but giving us the space to repent and calling us, encouraging us to be drawn to him by an example of love and compassion. That's his manner. That's the manner of the servant of God. It also says here that he was going to be steadfast. In other words, he was not going to be deterred by 
our hard-headedness, by our hard hearts. Sometimes people's hard-headedness or hardness of heart can deter us from wanting to continue to serve, right? It can become discouraging. But thankfully, the servant of God wasn't going to be deterred by none of that. He was going to accomplish his goal. He was going to be faithful to the task, no matter what. And that's why the Bible says, even while we were yet his enemies, Christ came was sacrificed for us, even without us knowing why he did it, because his motivation didn't depend on our faithfulness. Thank God for that. But now that we can see in retrospect, all that just serves to motivate us even more, because we see the purity of God's love. He won't give up, and he didn't give up, until his assigned work was done. And we know it was done on the cross. John 19, 30 says, when he received that drink, Jesus said, it is finished. We know that the work of God, the work of the servant of God was accomplished when Jesus gave up his life. When he gave up the life that God had given him to live in. Luke 24, says, this is after he was raised from the dead. He tells his disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so we know what was fulfilled, the gospel. What is the gospel? The fact that Jesus came to provide that atonement that was necessary to give us to usher in a new age in which now we can truly be the children of God, but it's gonna require a sacrifice. It's gonna require us pledging allegiance to God instead of to the world. Because when we pledge allegiance to the world, thinking the world's gonna give us something, all we get in return is death. But Jesus came to usher this new age for the hopeless, so that we could claim the victory in Christ Jesus. And all that happened by this gospel. The fact that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised again. Now when we believe God, if we believe that Jesus did these things, that he is God's true servant, that he did open these. We believe the miracles that he did. We believe the love that he showed, that he really cares. As Michael says, that he loves your soul. See, God loves you. Here on this earth, the most that maybe we can do is, is love each other physically somewhat. We don't really know what the soul is about. We know we have one. But we can love each other, try to love each other for who we are, for what we see. But that's very limited. God can peer deep into us. He knows the depths of our soul. And knowing all that, he still gave himself up and sent us a sacrifice to atone for us, to atone for the sin and usher in a new age. And so by his death, we say, we are saved. Colossians kind of explains this process in a spiritual way. We are circumcised in him when, when we are baptized, as in verse 12. But notice what happened, what, what he says in verse 11. There is a circumcision, not a human thing, not a physical thing, it says here, but our self ruled by the flesh, that self that gets in the way, that self that maybe is distracted by the forms, distracted by the rocks and the soil that self ruled by the flesh, 
can be put off, can be rendered powerless by Jesus himself. And that's something that he does. He puts that off. When? Verse 12. When we decide to pledge allegiance to him wholeheartedly and are buried with him in baptism, raised again in newness of life through our faith in the working of God. So if somebody is ready to do that, it's not like baptism is something magical. Okay, I'm going to get baptized so that this happens. No, there has to be faith in the working of God and an acceptance of these things in order for the baptism to do its work because you have to do it because you believe in what God was doing there, not just as a ritual. Peter will say here, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He did that to get us to this goal that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. You see, Jesus did half. He did the heavy lifting for us. He said, I'll render yourself ruled by the flesh powerless, but it is up to you now to die to sin. You still have to decide that you're going to die to it and live for righteousness because that's what the servant of God will do because there's still sin in our midst. There's still temptation. There's still the possibility of you being distracted by the thorns and the rocks that you may allow in your life, in your soul. So even though Jesus can perform that circumcision when you get baptized, you're half-hearted in your faith, then you're gonna end up fruitless, like the plant that grew up in the thorny soil or the rocky soil. But the fact is that God, through Jesus Christ, bore our sins. And so he says here, by his wounds, we have been healed. By his steadfastness, we were able to remain steadfast when we join him in his death so we can have hope and newness of life because now we're waiting for his return if we really bought into this new life that jesus came to bring us and we see ourselves as paul did i paul a servant of christ jesus a slave of jesus christ if that's truly how we look at ourselves now that we've allowed jesus to perform that circumcision and we want to live for Christ, then we live now in expectations of his return. And so now we join him in that steadfastness, just as he was steadfast, one of the attributes of the servant, steadfast, without being deterred by anything. Isn't that kind of what has to define our Christian walk right now? Undeterred in our focus, undeterred in our allegiance to Jesus as we carry out this ambassadorship, then truly these words will sound true to us. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. This is our goal. Like teacher, like student. Jesus was a servant of God, so us now too. We need to look at ourselves as servants of God, like our master. Now we want to live a life of labor in the kingdom, of self-denial, of fulfilling 
that goal that is set before us as servants of God, a twofold goal. Number one, serving to win the loss, as it says here in 1 Corinthians 9.19, though I am free, Paul said, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. So you don't become a slave for your own benefit, <laughs> but for the benefit of others. And remember, Paul is still saying here, I am free. He knew he was free because only a truly free person, think about this, can make themselves a slave to everyone. If you're a slave to sin or a slave to the world, you're trapped in that mindset. You can't, first of all, you can't even think of yourself as free, much less a slave to someone else. But only a free person can say this. And the second goal, or the second part of the goal, to serve and edify God's people, the church. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I hope this message encouraged you, brothers and sisters, for this week to think of yourselves, and not just this week, but you don't have to. Think of yourselves as slaves, servants, Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.